Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Same-sex marriage has been the law of the land since 2015. That decision came with great celebration, great fanfare, yet many Christians disagree. Should same-sex marriage be a theological issue? What even is marriage in the first place? Let's look together at how God defines marriage in His Word. It's just really good to have you guys here today. We're continuing in this series that we've been doing since the beginning of August. This is part nine of a big, long series that we've been doing. We've been talking all year about standing and building our house because I want you, I want your family to stand because the storm is raging all around us. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced it's only gonna get worse before it gets better. And I want you to stand through this cultural storm that is blowing all around us. And so we've been talking about that all year. And in August, we, we started laying the foundation of what our building should be as we build our house. The foundation is Jesus Christ and no other. And the series is called Superstructure because now we're, we're kind of trying to build on that foundation uh, we're building a, a good biblical theological worldview. So we were talking for several weeks, August and September, about what a biblical worldview is, how to have a biblical worldview, how does scripture inform my thought process, how do I look at the world and what do I see through God's eyes instead of my own. And so that's kind of where we've been in this series, but the logical conclusion to all of that is what we're doing now in October uh, as we continue this series where we're talking about how our biblical worldview intersects the cultural storm that is blowing. And so we kind of started that part of this series last week. Uh, we talked about choosing life and why this question of abortion is, um, is a thing for God and for us. Today, uh, we're moving on to a, another heavy topic. It was heavy in the early service. I'm sure it'll be heavy in here. Uh, we're gonna be talking about the question uh, of gay marriage. Is gay marriage biblical? And so we're going to be, I've got an answer already right here in the front row. Um, so we're going to be examining closely what God's word really says about that. And I just want to be clear, today's topic, we're not talking about homosexuality. That's a kind of a different topic. We'll deal with that at another time, but not today. I want to specifically talk about the issue of gay marriage today, same-sex marriage. It's been the law of the land since 2015 when the Supreme Court uh, made it a constitutional right uh, for people of the same sex to get married. And it seemed like, it seemed like when they made that decision, the entire nation celebrated. Seemed like everybody was really happy. The whole culture just, I mean, they identified with, there were specials on television. Even the White House itself was lit up in rainbow colors. Remember that? Yeah. It's interesting how they hijack our terminology and they use it for their own agendas. So, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a big deal. It seemed like everybody celebrated except the church. The church was the one that didn't. The church, it was, it was Christians that were saying, no, 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 stop, 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 don't do this. And it seems like we were the sticks in the mud. It seems like we were the ones kind of fighting against where the culture just wanted to go. That's kind of what this whole year has been about, is our culture is just moving uh, downstream in the direction it wants to go. And this whole year has been about how we've got to say we can't continue to go where you're going. And so the whole culture was all about this, but it was the church saying, no, no, no. And I just want to ask the question in this message today, and it's the first blank on your page if you're following along, why is the church 
holding out on this issue? Why does the church hold out on this issue? We talked about it a lot in 2015 when it was headlines, but we don't talk about it so much anymore. And it seems like we're just the angry, crotchety old people who don't want anybody to have any fun, right? Or at least, at least, okay, it's not the whole church, it's some of the church. Because really, if you, if you look at if you look at how the church in general is handling this, you'll see every perspective you can think of, right? You got on the extreme right, you got the Westboro Baptist people, you know, who show up and protest everything. And they have the signs that say, God hates fags, right? And they uh, protest uh, soldiers' funerals, and they have signs that says, God is happy when soldiers die. They used to, they don't now, I checked this week, they used to have a running headcount of dead American soldiers and they praised God for every one of them. Yeah, so you have those guys on one extreme side and then you got some in the middle, you know, you got, I, I watched one prominent televangelist, all of you would know his name, everybody in the room would know him, big prolific authors, written books, and in a CNN interview, when asked about this topic, um, you know, he was, he kind of came down on one side, sort of, but he was very apologetic. He was like, well, you know, we are all, we're for everybody. We're not against anyone. We just love everyone. And well, I don't see it in the Bible. So I, you know, I don't believe it's right, but you know, we're, we're for everyone. And he just, he wanted to kind of straddle the fence and not take a stand. You got some Christian pastors who've been clear and consistent. You know, I think of Rick Warren, been very clear, very consistent on uh, how he stands. And he says, you know, the Bible is true 2,000 years ago and it's true today. And I stand by what God's word says. And uh, he's unapologetic about it. But then on the, you know, on the other side, on the, on, the, on the far left side, you've got entire denominations ordaining married gay pastors of churches so you've got all kinds of responses the entire spectrum within the body of Christ why why is this and and how are we how are we supposed to think about this what does the scripture actually say about this because some of our leaders are kind of making it well you know it's it's really inconsequential we just love everybody and some are taking a hard stand on one side or the other. How, how are we to think about this? So I want to be clear, here at the Orchard Church, we unapologetically take a hard stand on the truth of the Word of God. We believe that God's Word is His absolute truth expressed to us generously and that He gives us His heart, His mind in His Word. Does anybody agree with me on that? Okay, so I did a big sermon at the near the beginning of this series about that. It's on the thing where the QR code is, uh, and, and we talk about why we stand on the Word of God, and, and we, we look at things through the lens of the Bible and specifically the gospel because we believe that's how God has expressed himself to us, and so we want to do that. So if we want to be really clear about what God's word says about this let's just all take our Bibles and let's turn to that famous passage where God gives us his clear instructions on same-sex marriage will you turn there with me real quick no you won't you know why because it's not in there it's not in the Bible. God does not directly address this issue with a verse. There's not a verse that says, thou shalt not same-sex marriage. It's, it's just not there. In fact, some of the church leaders have kind of used that as their reason to not really take a side. They've said, well, there's not a verse, so, mm, you know, we're, gonna, mm, be, we're just going to be wishy-washy about it. And so here's what I, I hope it's okay with you today. I hope it's okay with you that today, since there's not a proof text, there's not a specific verse, thou shalt not same-sex marriage, since that's not there, we're going to have to dig a little deeper. 
And we're going to have to look closely at some deep-rooted principles of God in his word and get some clarity on this that's deeper than just a proof text. Is that okay? So I'm going to ask you to go with me as we look at this because I think God's clearly showing us something without stating it outright. Okay? All right. Let me use an illustration for an example. I love the Great Smoky Mountains. I go up there multiple times a year. I love climbing the mountains. I love doing the hikes. I love going to the waterfalls. Uh, I just love taking the motorcycle and just meandering through those curvy roads in the mountains, especially this time of year. I just love the Great Smoky Mountains. And um, one of the places that I love to go there, I love to take the very, very, very short hike to Mingo Falls. Anybody ever been to Mingo Falls? It's on the Cherokee side of the great, no? Okay, one person. Of course, it would be you guys. So yeah, so I love Mingo Falls. It's a, it's a beautiful location and I want you to see it, man. I really want you to see it and I want you to experience it. But I can't, you know, bring Mingo Falls here to the room. So I thought I would just draw you a picture today so you could really experience it. So, yeah, I mean, it's really a beautiful thing. So on, on either side, there's these trees, you know. Yeah, there's trees all around uh, Mingo Falls. And then way up high, you'll see there's like a rock face, and the water kind of comes down, cascading down from there, and it kind of hits a couple of different levels, and it cascades down, you know, uh, below the rocks, and then it lands, you know, on some rocks down below in the bottom, and there's logs down there, you know, uh, all around, and you can see the water coming out, you know, down below, and that's, that's what it looks like. Do you see it? It's beautiful. Mingo Falls. <laughs> you be, you feel, I don't need to go now. I've been there. I've experienced it. Okay, so you're probably looking at this and you're probably going, are you a second grader, Steve? Because you draw like a second grader. Is it possible, is it possible that my drawing of this Mingo Falls isn't the best, is it possible that it isn't the best representation? I mean, is it possible that my drawing doesn't really do it justice? possible. It's possible. You see, I think this is what we need to be looking at here. I, I, thought, I thought I would just do better for you. I'd do you the favor instead of just having the drawing. I thought I would show you an actual cell phone picture of it that I took when I was there last May. See, I mean, it's, well, okay, let's just, yeah. It, exactly. Like the drawing better? Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's possible that my representation of the reality here is not exactly great. But here's what I think is going on. I think, I think God is drawing a picture for us to see. And I think that marriage is the drawing that God is making. And he wants us to see something that is way better and way bigger than just the representation itself. He wants to look at our representation and see something far better, far more majestic. In fact, here's the first blank on your page. Marriage exists to draw a picture. Marriage exists to draw a picture. God is out to show us something in marriage. So let's explore that a little bit ourselves. We're gonna look in the word of God and we're gonna explore his picture. Marriage is a key theme throughout scripture. Marriage isn't something that just happens to be in the Bible. Marriage is a key theme, man. You find it all throughout. In Leviticus 20, there's a whole bunch of laws from God pertaining to marriage and how you are to conduct marriage. You see stories of marriages all through the Old and even the New Testament. You have examples there, good ones and bad ones. 
Proverbs is filled with wisdom principles about marriage. So you got a lot of good advice about marriage in Proverbs. Heck, there's a whole book of the Bible devoted to nothing but love, sex, and marriage. In fact, this book is pretty explicit. The English translations, I'm not lying, the English translations actually clean it up a little bit so it's appropriate for church people. I'm serious. I'm not kidding. If you were to read it in the original language, it's pretty graphic. And so God values love, sex, and marriage. And he's trying to show us something very clearly in all of this. It's a serious, serious topic in the Bible. You find its origin right at the very beginning. In the opening scene of the entire story, God has created everything, right? He's created the entire universe, the mountains, the valleys, the beautiful leaves like we see right now. He's created it all, and God is pleased with everything. It's good. Everything about his creation is good, except for one thing. There's one thing God's pronounced good over everything, but there's one thing that God is displeased with in all of his creation. You know what it is. It's right here in the opening scene, Genesis 2. He says, it is not good for the man to be alone. God is not happy with just the guy being there himself. We're not happy that way either. Are we, Brent? Amen. <laughs> So it's not, it's not good. Now, this is the zoom in of creation. So, you know, in Genesis 1, you got the kind of overview. And then in Genesis 2, you got this zoom in. And things kind of happen a little differently because it's zooming in tight on this. So God says it's not good for the man, the man to be alone. And then he has a plan, right? He has a plan. He says, I will make a helper who is just right, who is just right for him. Look at your spouse and say, you are just right. Yeah, some of y'all did not participate in that right now. I understand. Some days I feel that way too, and I know most days my wife feels that way. So God set out to do just that. He set out to make a helper for him. And isn't it fascinating how God begins to draw the picture? It's right after this that God starts drawing the picture and... I am blown away with how he starts. You know the story, right? Look at what it says next. It says that the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. You see how this part of the story, the zoom in is different from the chapter one. Chapter one, all the animals and everything, and then man, but now on the zoom in, okay, here's kind of how it works. Whenever you're talking about something that's pre-fall, it's difficult to get our heads around it. You know, linear time is not the same, and God works things differently. So here we go. Uh, the Lord God forms from the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them and a man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. Okay, helper. So is God trial and erroring this thing? Is God trying to figure out exactly what the man needs? He's like, okay, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What do you think? Oh, elephant, that's what you're going to call it? Okay, and how's, it, how's that looking for you? you? Do you think you're in love with the elephant? Do you think I was disappointed? Oh, you don't love the ostrich? You, you didn't fall madly in love with the rattlesnake? Oh, darn, I got it wrong again. Let me try another one. Do, do you think that's what's going on here? In the story... Who needs to figure out which one is just right for him? God's drawing a picture. He's showing something without saying it outright. So 
the story says right here that it wraps up it says but there he makes all the animals but there was no helper just right for him no helper just right none of them just right God's drawing a picture and Adam needs to figure out that there is none just right for him sorry the ostrich wasn't just right I love all of God's creation. I love all the animals, right? My grandson, Carter, right now is in love with playing with those little plastic animals. Like, we don't even have to turn the TV on. He can play with the animals for hours. He loves it. He holds a little lion and goes, rawr. <laughs> loves it, loves it, loves it. Do you love the animals in your life? I love the companionship of our two little dogs. We have two little dogs. Love the companionship, but I'm telling you, those dogs aren't right. <laughs> They're this big, and they think they can take down a deer all the time, every single day, right? They're just not right. God's showing the picture that as good as my creation is, I got something for you. I got something special. I got something I want you to see. And I want you to see first that all, there's a lot of other options, but there's only one that's just right. So that's when God does something truly amazing, right? He created the whole universe. He created the sky and the land and the sea. But what he does next changes human history. Look at it in Genesis 2, 21. It says that the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. So the man has had the chance to see the elephant and the ostrich and the rattlesnake. I wonder what he thought when he saw the duck-billed platypus, you know, or the alligators. How'd that go? Grizzly bears. You know, I just wonder. I wonder how that all went. But now, but now, Scripture kind of passes over all that. Now he brings her to him. And after letting Adam see all of his creativity and then finally her, look at the man's response. Here's what he says. He says, at last, at last, I've seen it all, but now I've seen all I need to see. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. Can you hear the fulfillment can you hear the joy in his exclamation he is so excited to find the one that is just right for him don't let this roll past you this is huge this is huge god is doing something here where he's forming together the two that become one right He's, he's creating the most impactful and influential relationship of your life. There is nobody that influences you more than your spouse. There is nobody who matters to you more than your spouse. Your marriage, my marriage, marriage in general is the foundational element of civilization itself. And in this moment, God is putting that together. God himself is creating marriage. This is huge. And Genesis acknowledges this. God brings them together. The man is thrilled. And here's what it says next. It says, this explains why. You want to know why we value marriage? This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two into one. When we take a stand on marriage, this is the why. Because God himself has thought it up, he's created it, and he's instituted it right here in the garden. 
The scripture is very, very clear. Biblically, God has given us his definition of his creation. In fact, next mic on your page, God invented and introduced marriage. You hear me? God invented and introduced marriage. That means it's his, not ours. That means it is sacred. Another way to say that maybe is it is holy. We don't call it holy matrimony for nothing. That means we don't put our filthy hands on it and try to decide what it should and shouldn't be. It's God's, not ours. This is why. Look at that verse again, Genesis 2, 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united to one. God is showing us something here. He's showing us something of himself and he's showing us something of his plan, his desire for his creation. We don't view marriage as something that just happens to be. This institution of marriage was created, look at this, before the fall. This pre-existed the only state we know. We only know a fallen, broken world. We've only ever seen sin, death, disease, pain, suffering, shame, brokenness. We've only ever seen that. But this, this predates all of that. God's trying to show us something here. Show us something that's outside the broken realm of sin. He's drawing a picture. What is the picture of? Fortunately, Jesus brings the picture into a little bit clearer focus. It's kind of not clear at first. We know it's there. We know God's saying something, doing something. It's important to God. He values it. But what's really going on here? But Jesus kind of helps us a little bit, a little bit, right? Because he always interacts with those Pharisees. You know what the Pharisees did for a living, right? They argued. I'm not kidding. That's what they did. They argued. They were always arguing. So these guys, they had discovered 600 laws, over 600 laws in the Old Testament. And they realized you, you can't obey all the, you just can't, you can't, six, there's six, you can't even remember half of them, right? So you, how do you, you know, how do you do this? So they were always arguing how to interpret, how to obey, which ones were important, which ones were less important. They were always, always debating these things. And you know, one day the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they're talking about marriage. And they're, they're, wanting to, they're wanting to hold on to God's definition of marriage, but they're looking to kind of bring it up to date a little bit, kind of broaden it out some. You know, God's definition for marriage was really, really good, you know, back in the garden, but now it's modern, you know, first century AD. So we really need to modern this thing up a little bit. So they have been arguing about this for a while, and they come to Jesus with their argument, and they say, hey, Jesus, um, is it okay with God if we divorce our wives? That's literally the question. Is it okay with God if we divorce our wife? Have you seen her? Have you heard her nagging me? I, I, I gotta get out of this. Is it okay for us to divorce our wives? And Jesus' first response was, well, you know what the Bible says, right? He doesn't say it that way. He says, what did Moses tell you about this? Moses is the law giver, right? God gave the law through Moses. So what does Moses say about this? And they answered him. They said, well, Moses said we could just like a five-year-old would say. Well, I, he said I could do it, right? Trying to get my way. Deflect the blame onto someone else. So they're pointing to Moses, saying Moses said we could get it. And Moses, the law actually gives a way for a man to divorce his wife. It does have that in the Old Testament. So why are you arguing about it? 
So Jesus responds to them and he says, look, look, don't you know my heart? Don't, don't you know where, where I'm at on this? He's, he literally says, Moses gave you divorce as a concession because he knew that you were evil. Okay, so first of all, Jesus is clear. Divorce is evil. It's not just because God hates divorce. He does hate divorce. But God values marriage because God himself is drawing a picture for us in marriage. So he says, yeah, there's a concession for divorce because I know you're evil, but here's what he says next. And what he says next ought to rock your face off a little bit because what he says next will ring in your ears because it'll sound pretty familiar. Here's what he says next. He says, God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Does that sound familiar? What's Jesus doing here? He's quoting the Genesis scroll. When they come to him and they ask him about marriage, he points right back to God's original drawing. And he says, this is the heart of God. This is what God's showing you. God is the one that has invented and introduced this. God's the one drawing this picture. And I'm just going to reiterate it to you. As if you didn't know it in the first place. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined Together, This isn't yours. It's God's. It's not just some arbitrary set of rules and expectations. This is not for you to mess with, not for you to modernize and bring up to date. It's not for you to make more culturally acceptable. Jesus points right back to God's drawing. Still mysterious, still okay, but what are you saying to us in this, God? If you're drawing a picture, what are you trying to show us? Thankfully, thankfully, God explains it to us through the apostle Paul. Just a little bit after Jesus. A few years later, Paul is writing his letter to the church at Ephesus. It's a great Man, it's a good, you really ought to read this letter. It's got the gospel and then how the gospel works out in your life in every situation. It's really, really good. It's both, it's both theory and practice all in one book. Ephesians, great book. And in Ephesians 5, uh, Paul is writing basically some marriage advice to married couples. Always encouraging to get marriage advice from someone who's not married, Right? <laughs> But it's not like, you know, you should pick up your socks at the end of the day, don't leave them on the floor. It's not, it's not like squeeze the toothpaste versus roll the toothpaste advice. He's talked about the gospel in his letter and now he's saying, okay, here's how the gospel works out for you husbands as you are relating to your wives. Here's how the gospel works out for you wives as you're relating to your husbands. He's drawing this picture a little bit even more clearly for us. God has inspired him to really give us some clarity on this. And I'm not gonna go into all of it right now, but I'm gonna really let Paul himself summarize it for us as he's talking about how to let the gospel work out in our marriage. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, as the scriptures say, a man, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Here it is again. He's quoting the Genesis scroll just like Jesus did. He's going right back to the beginning. This is important. Listen, I was always taught whenever you see a verse repeated over and over and over again in scripture, you better pay attention because God's trying to show you something here. And so Paul is going back and he's quoting the Genesis scroll and he's saying, go back to the original, go back to God's heart, go back to what he's trying to show you and look at what he says about it. He says this, that's marriage, is a great mystery. Husbands, can I get an amen? 
I heard a weak amen. I think it was from you, Brent. I heard one weak amen. The other husband's going, I ain't saying that. I got to go home with her. What? Just, what? Is the juice worth the squeeze? Is that a euphemism that I should not have just repeated? <laughs> Is it worth the hassle? Okay. All right. That <laughs> comes right from the Song of Solomon, she said. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, can we come back from that? <laughs> you have to sit on the back row starting next week. Okay. <laughs> so Paul is telling us that marriage is a great mystery but look at what he says. This is huge. He says, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. What? Are you telling me that my marriage is not about I love you and you love me? Is it more than just two of us, you know, kissing in a tree? You know, is it... It's more than, yes, yes. Marriage was given to us by God as an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Let me say it this way. It's the next blank on your page. The picture God is drawing is of who God is and how he feels about us. The whole picture of marriage, your marriage, my marriage, is God showing us how he feels about us, that we were created beautiful in his eyes. You were made in the loving image of God himself. You were made to look like him. In other words, when God looks at you, he sees a little bit of himself. You are, I heard that, that was scary, I know. In the back, in the back from now on, okay. <laughs> but you were created beautiful in his eyes, and then you and I strayed far from him. We were unfaithful to him when we stood with the accuser and agreed that God was not worthy of being God. We thought we would make a better God than God. So we broke everything about all of creation. Sin entered the world and with it comes pain, shame, death, disease. All that comes as a result of sin that we allowed into the world when we became unfaithful against God. We became traitorous criminals against him. So we, we deserve to be shunned, to be put away, to be judged swiftly and severely. We've earned that. Yet he calls us back to himself. Right? Like a desperately loving husband. He doesn't just, hey, I'll forgive you if you come back and say you're sorry. God himself clothed himself in flesh. And he came all the way to us. And what did he do? He loved. He healed. He gave grace and he taught about his father. He showed us about the kingdom. And then he himself went to the cross where all of the shame of my unfaithfulness wound up on him. And he loved me with such self-sacrificial love that he paid the price for what I had done. He was judged and condemned for my sin. He went to the grave for me. But then three days later, he rose again. He walked out of that grave 
and he has new life. And today he extends that new life to me and to you, right? He says, I want you to have abundant life. That's right, praise the Lord. Okay, you can stay, you can stay now. He says, I want you to have my abundant life. He graciously shares it even though he knows I've been unfaithful to him. And even today, even today, I find myself in unfaithful positions. Even today, after I've known him all these years, I still find myself cheating on him, selling out to whatever sin might pop up sometimes. And yet he still loves me. He still gives me the grace that only he can give over and over and over again. And this is the picture he's drawing. This is the picture that God is drawing in marriage. In other words, his desire is for you and for me to look at marriage and find him. He wants to show us how he feels about us by giving us this gift of marriage. There is none just right for you other than him. You can look all around the world and you can try to find joy and happiness. You can try to find your completion in all kinds of things in this world and they will always leave you short. You will always desire more. There is none right for you but him. He's the groom and we are the bride, right? This is the picture that he's drawing for us. He wants us to see this. And when we get our hands on marriage and try to define it in any other way, we're not just messing up the picture that he's drawing, but what we're saying to God, when we say that same-sex marriage is a thing, what we're saying is, God, we don't really need you. We just need more of ourselves. There, there is something else that's just right for us, and it's us. And we don't need you, God. You are not worthy of being God. We are. That's the picture God's drawing. And it's not just even a key prevalent theme all throughout scripture. The entire human history is book ended with this picture. You find it in the garden at the very beginning and it all culminates in the end. When God's will is finally made complete, what happens is the wedding feast of the lamb when the bride and the groom are finally joined together. In Revelation 19, John describes what happens. He says, I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. And here's what he heard, pray. For the Lord is our God, the Almighty. He reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angels said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Blessed are you invited to the wedding feast. Blessed are you, bride, as you come to the bridegroom after all of this waiting. Marriage is sacred. This is why, this is why I'm just going to prepare you now. This is why I've said no at times. When people have come to me and said, hey, we're getting married in a couple of months and I really want you to do our wedding ceremony. 
And so I'll sit down with them and I'll be like, look, I really, I really want to do your wedding. I really want to, but, but look, I'm just going to be honest. I know something about you and I know that you two are living together. You're sleeping with each other outside of marriage. And I'm sorry, but I speak for God and marriage is sacred. And if you want me to speak for God at your wedding day, you don't want to hear what God has to say about this relationship right now. You don't, you don't want that. I, I can't stand before a crowd of people and say pretty things about something God hates because it ruins his picture. And you know what always happens. I never see that couple again. I'm just telling you, that sucks. It hurts. I don't have any joy in that. That's not fun. I, I hate that because I like these people or I love these people and I want the best for them. And I'll suggest them. I'm like, look, why don't you just do this? Look, we, we can compromise. Your marriage is in a couple of, your wedding is in a couple of months. Why don't you just for now move out from each other? Just, you know, split up for now. You just repent and get it right with God. And then we'll do the thing on wedding day. And nine times out of 10, not 10 out of 10, nine times out of 10, they're like, we're out of here, dude. We'll go find an open-minded pastor. We stand on the word of God and we believe that marriage is sacred. And I don't wanna be guilty of helping you draw a picture of something that doesn't really exist. I don't want to leave you totally unprepared to meet the God that created you because I helped you misrepresent him in your life. Does that make sense? Because it got really quiet in the room when I started talking about that. So here's the question for you and for me. It's easy for us, it's easy for us here in a red state, in a red, red county, it's easy for us to be us versus them. They're bad. They're doing it wrong. We should condemn them. But hey, you and I have absolutely no right to throw stones unless we have no sin of our own. Isn't that what Jesus told the Pharisees? So my question in my life doesn't so much need to be, are they wrong? My question should be, does my marriage draw the right picture is my marriage faithful to paint a picture of who he is and how he feels about us let me ask you this way think about the way you talk about your spouse at work can your co-workers look at your marriage and find him can your kids Look at your marriage and find him. Can your spouse look at you and see him? See, it's hard for me to cast stones if I'm not drawing the picture myself. This ought to humble us and it ought to cause us to seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I know some of us in the room, some of us in the room have experienced great pain and loss because you've experienced this relationship and then you lost her or you lost him. And you are just dealing with that grief. I, I talked to a, a friend of mine the other day and his wife passed away some time ago and he's just like, I just can't, I can't get past it. I just can't get over it. She's everywhere I look. Her voice rings in my ears. It's all over the place. And I, I can't, I'm like, how long ago has it been? And he said, three months. I'm like, three months? I'd expect you to, to be where you are now three years from now. Good grief. How do you, you don't control, alt, delete and reboot after that. 
So I know this is, a, this is a huge deal, and so I'm very grateful because we've got some people here in our church that have begun the Grief Share ministry, and it's a specifically a support group for people who have gone through the loss of a spouse in some way, and it's a powerful thing. We've already done one full semester of it. We kind of piloted it with a small group of people, and it was life-changing. They loved it and so we've made it public and we're doing it now and I would just like to invite you if you've been through that if you're going through that I'd love to invite you to be part of it our grief share team is going to have somebody out here at our dot life connection point right after the service is over I asked them to have somebody here because you know we could have you sign on a card or get on the website and join up but I wanted you to connect to a person and not a website. I mean, you can do it on the website, fine, but come on out here and talk to one of our grief share people and get to be part of that group uh, because I believe it can be life changing. After the wedding feast happens, John describes for us what everything will be like. In Revelation 22, he says, no longer will there be a curse on anything. Thank you, God. Because everything in this world has the curse on it. Everything around us. We've never known anything but under the curse in this world. But once that happens, there will be no more curse. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him. And they'll see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night there. You've been through that long, dark, sleepless, painful night where you toss and turn and you don't know what the answer is gonna be to that thing that won't stop breathing down your neck. There will be no more night there. No need for lamps or sun because the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. A little bit later in this same passage, God himself says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I started all of this and I'm bringing it to completion. And that's exactly what he wants to do in you So the last question I have for you, last blank on the page is this, is my life drawing that picture? Is my life part of his great picture that he is drawing? He wants you in the picture. Is my life faithful to him?